Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. There are lots of cool innovations going on these days, and we're seeing them in all sorts of places, but especially happening in the realm of artificial intelligence. And sometimes it's tricky to know which things are real and which are all marketing hype. A few years ago, I used to joke that any startup that had a slightly complicated formula in a spreadsheet somewhere could go around marketing themselves as an AI-backed startup. Of course, in the last year or so, we've really started to see some actual AI tools hit the market, and some of them are really interesting, and in some cases, they are kind of amazing. And for example, last year, uh, for regular listeners of the podcast, will know that we had a podcast with art director Rob Sheridan talking about the impact of generative art uh, on the overall art market and, and graphic design market, and that was a really interesting and thoughtful conversation. But still, these days, with all the hype around AI, there still appears to be some room for companies to effectively make claims about some sort of wonderful, uh, magical AI system that they have powering things on the back end that might not actual, uh, actually be real. Uh, one company that has received a, an awful lot of attention in the last few months, especially, is called Do Not Pay. The company that was claimed to have been started by a Stanford student named Josh Browder to help him contest the various parking tickets he claimed he was always racking up has built up uh, quite a reputation over the years as a company trying to apply AI to various legal problems beyond just parking tickets. Uh, most famously, it was advertised as a tool to get out of subscription plans that are, you're having trouble canceling. However, uh, Browder and Do Not Pay seem to be masters of marketing stunts, including claiming recently that their robot lawyer would feed someone in traffic court what to say, and then later offering uh, $1 million to any lawyer who would let their robot AI uh, feed them what to say in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, never mind that the Supreme Court doesn't allow electronic devices into its chambers, uh, but the media really kind of ate this stuff up and Browder got a ton of headlines for his world's first robot lawyer service. There were certainly plenty of people, mainly lawyers or those involved in the legal profession, who were at least somewhat skeptical about all of these claims, questioning how well any of it actually worked. But I would say none were more skeptical, perhaps, than Catherine Tucson, uh, who is an investigator and paralegal in Washington state, who is certainly known if you spend any time in kind of legal Twitter land uh, for her endless patience in responding to trolls and other people questioning things and then talking to them at length and often pressuring them uh, in a good way, I should note, into actually responding uh, to questions and issues raised by, by their claims and trying to get to the bottom of what it is that they're actually saying and what they actually believe and uh, correspondingly what the actual law is and explaining it to them. It is a uh, a master class in learning about the law, if you follow Catherine on Twitter. Um, 
However, she seemed to feel that there were perhaps some issues with Do Not Pay's claims and decided to test some of them out by signing up for an account. And after that, well, an awful lot of, I would say, hilarity ensued, but I'm going to let her talk about that. So Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Mike. It's great to be here. Um, so let, let's start at the beginning. So, you know, how did you first hear about Do Not Pay? So how I first heard, I mean, the, the first thing I remember is, you know, his Supreme Court son sort of brushed across the fringes of my consciousness, right? And because that was getting a lot of attention and a lot of airtime. And I didn't honestly really think that much about it. People say stupid stuff every day. This didn't seem to be remarkably out of band for the levels of stupid things that people can say on the internet. And, but then when I heard about his traffic lawyer stunt, I was like, uh, that's sort of starting to come a little closer to earth. And it is possible that you could lie sufficiently to get that stunt started at least. Although I do not have high hopes of it continuing for very long. I, my recommendation to anybody who tries to bring AirPods into the courtroom and claim that they're an assistive hearing device so that you could actually get past lines from some sort of outside the venue pseudo legal Cyrano de Bergerac is back a toothbrush because <laughs> you might be staying there longer than you think you are. But, um, but what really caught my eye in that whole thing is when Josh said that he had, they said, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but like we have just sent out a subpoena for the traffic cop in this traffic case generated by AI. And a lot of people had already picked up on the fact, right, that like if you're the defense in a traffic case, the last thing you want to do is subpoena the prosecution's only witness. Right. But what struck me is that a subpoena has legal force um, right. and not just anybody can sign a subpoena. And so I responded and said, who signed that subpoena, Josh? And right. Josh did not answer. And then I asked a couple more times because I'm an asshole and continued <laughs> to not answer. And then I noticed that he had deleted the tweet. So I took the screenshot of the missing tweet with my response below it and said, why did you delete your tweet about the AI issuing a subpoena, Josh? And he blocked me. Uh -huh. And in my line of work, that starts to fall into what we call circumstantial evidence of consciousness of guilt. <laughs> and so, um, and so that in, that intrigued me. That started getting me thinking that maybe he had something to hide. Okay. Uh, wow. All right. I don't even know if I remembered part of that. So, okay. So then, so is that when you signed up for an account with do no, not pay? Actually, I signed up somewhat later than that, about maybe a okay. day after that, because I then got into a lively exchange of ideas with other folks on the internet, which is, I mean, kind of a hobby of mine, as you've alluded to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, do what you're good at, they say. But the, <laughs> sure. um, but yeah, so, and we were all arguing about, you know, robot attorney and artificial intelligence and unauthorized practice of law and client rights and client responsibilities and malpractice. And there was a lot of sort of shouting past each other, like even more than is typical in those arguments. And I think you're very familiar with those kinds of arguments and you know, there's typically yeah. a lot of shouting past each other. And yeah. so I was just kind of like, you know, we're all speaking from our own like hypothetical imagining of what a robot attorney is, but we don't have to guess. We can know, right? Like the site's right there. We can go sign up for it and know what, what is actually on offer. What do not pay is actually providing. And so I'm like, right. well, shit, I'm going to go do that. Interesting. And okay. I did. I signed up, I think, on the 
second January or so is when I signed up. Okay. And so what, what, did, what did you find when you signed up? So I, first of all, I thought that what I was going to find was a real time legal advice providing chat GPT style um, service. Cause that, that's certainly what they imply, right? Yeah. That it's, it's sort of like that, that, you know, you'll be able to chat with the, the lawyer and sort of get uh, legal I mean, advice, expert legal advice tailored to your right. circumstances is the sort of thing they argue. And I think that's a quote, like, right. It's, it's a lot of very specific language that I certainly would have had thoughts about putting on the internet, but that's fine. <laughs> People make choices. And what I found was, first of all, not that. They do not offer a consumer-oriented real-time product, as far as I can right. tell. Or if they do, it was not at any point visible to me. What they offer okay. are these various tools, these various prompt wizards that step you through and promise to create documents for you. And some of those documents are things that I was very surprised to see on um, a you know, being provided by any sort of computerized anything without apparently without attorney oversight, um, including services to help you decide what chapter of bankruptcy you should file for or, right. you know, a wizard to take you through the process of applying for United States citizenship and all these things right. where it's like, boy, that seems really fraught. Yeah, like, that does making, not seem making like a, a good idea. <laughs> making a mistake there is like, you know, life impacting in big, big ways. Oh, yeah. You can make yeah. a, a a good faith, small error early on in the process of, of applying for citizenship that leaves you deported and labeled un ineligible to return forever. Like, yes. it yeah. can just get you thrown out of the country, period. And yes. so that kind of astonished me. Like, that was, that's so foolhardy. Yeah. yeah so what I, that. so yeah, so looking through it, but there were, they have actually, it's still there on the lower part of their site. If you click up at the top anywhere, it says like, you know, DMCA or burner phone or anything. Then down at the bottom, there is a whole section entitled legal tools, which has not changed in the past. Huh. Month. Um, still advertises every category of legal tool that they ever did. Right. And, and yeah. So, so let's get, we're, there, there's, there's some foreshadowing there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so let's get to that. So, so you went in, you logged in, you saw all these different services that they offered and mm -hmm. you ended up later writing an entire thread, which also turned into full disclosure, turned into a tech nerd post uh, mm -hmm. for us, which was great, which where you said you were going to test out the tools. You're, you know, uh, I would clearly say an expert in some of this stuff sure. and you wanted to, to to try out the tools and sort of see what they provided because it's you know it it matters it matters and so what 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 happened so the very first thing i tried out um was a product called defamation demand letter um i'm <laughs> familiar with defamation law on and yep. one of the things that actually stuck out to me about the web page the blog post i guess josh calls them that advertised the defamation demand letter is this was a series of red flags for me is that it said it said based on your location we will tailor your letter with the most relevant state legislation for defamation and that had a couple of red flags number one the plaintiff's location is not the only important factor in determining right. jurisdiction for defamation number two the most relevant law for defamation is usually not statutory. It's not legislative. It's, you know, judicial opinions. It's common law, case right. law. And because we have the First Amendment, typically when there is relevant federal, 
you know, the most relevant law is federal because of, right. that's how the First Amendment works. And so I was like, this is a bunch of lawy words that somebody who wanted to sound lawy put together, but it doesn't seem like this was written by an attorney. Yeah. And even, you know, one other point, which I think, and you know this well, so I'm sure. not, I'm not educating you on this, but, but some of our listeners I think is important too, is that like, it, it's, you know, beyond that too, like there are other considerations, like what is the best, like if you have been defamed, like what is the best state law to, to or venue to rely on actually does matter. And because not just because of the defamation law, but there may be like anti-slap laws to consider in exactly. terms of like how, you know, how you're going to handle these things. And, and if it's not, you know, that's what you need a real expert lawyer to like understand <laughs> right. the pros and cons Not you know, and like, and, and, and there is one thing that I do want to make clear and, and I'm sure, you know, well, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on it, but I'll share sure. my thoughts first, which is that like, I do think that there are times where it's like, you know, the legal profession is like a barrier for, for like, it is, it is difficult for some users to, to access. And there some are users, problems. Oh my, there are horrifying yeah. problems with access to justice. Yes. As yes. it stands right now, like uh, competent, effective, thorough legal representation is essentially unavailable to the majority of people yes. who live in the United States. That's yes. bad. Yes. And, and it is, it is very problematic. And, and if there were tools that could actually help people, you know, get the information that they need and be able to accomplish things. I think that there would be some value in there, but it has to be actually good and, and competent. And so, you know, yeah. things like this were, were definitely like red flag raising issues. So sorry, go on. So you saw the defamation. No, so I saw yeah. that. And yes, but I, but I do want to back up. Co-signed 100%. There it, it, there's a terrible crisis in access to justice in this country. And I'm, and addressing that is an important problem. Yeah. But so what happened when I got into this and now let me back up a little bit. So I read the terms of service of the site very carefully because okay. whenever you're doing, you know, an investigation or a test of something, it's for the validity of the results. You don't want to, you know, go outside what the product was designed for. That's not right. cool. And also it's important to me, you know, just as a person of integrity to honor the requirements that are put down for your participation. Um, and so I read those very carefully. And so one of the requirements was that your own information, you have to put in your real information, but you can understand if you're going to be sending out demand letters or cease and desist orders or whatever, you don't want people to be able to just generate those under fake names. That's right. A, like a, a, a broad river to harassment. So no, let's not do that. So for everything I did, I used my own real name my real address, placed myself in my actual location, all that. Um, but the, but I concocted these hypothetical scenarios that were designed to require a lot of, frankly, fairly subtle analysis. And in situations where if whatever was producing my documents didn't do that analysis, it would be readily apparent very quickly. Right. So for the defamation letter, I put myself in Washington because that is where I live and put my hypo hypothetical defendant in California, which has very strong, powerful anti-slap laws. And, yes. um, oh, in case anybody is unfamiliar with that term, SLAP stands for Strategic Litigation Against Public Participation. And a SLAP lawsuit is one that is designed to essentially chill somebody's speech because they cannot afford to defend themselves in a court of law not because right. what they're doing is wrong in any way. So that, so I guess my 
hypothetical defendant was in California. And then my defamatory statements I had going out over Twitter and they were, you know, opinion statements and like, you know, that I was like, let me see if I can remember this. Was, this feels like this was a decade ago, but it was less than a month. Um, <laughs> like that I was a terrible person and everything that's wrong with the country and a terrible singer. And also, I guess that I had, you know, hit the guy in the face with a key lime pie and damaged his glasses. Like those were the <laughs> allegedly defamatory statements. Okay. And of course those first two things, terrible person and the worst thing that ever happened to the country, that's opinions and rhetorical hyperbole, right. as you know, um, terrible singer is also an opinion statement, but can be because I'm a professional singer as well. It could be construed mm -hmm. as, you know, an attack on, you know, imputing somebody in their profession, so right. that can stray back into defamatory territory again and then hit somebody in the face with a key lime pie and damage their glasses. That's a pure statement of fact. Right. So and then it asked, what's the basis for the falsity? That was the next thing. And so I was like, well, okay. I'm a great person and a patriot and I'm a fantastic <laughs> singer. Everybody knows that. And like I did, I guess, toss a pie at him, but it didn't damage his glasses that badly. <laughs> <laughs> so then you're back into that. And for damages, I was like, you know, I'm worried that people might not come in. So I was like, you know, speculative damages and injury and in right. profession and statements of fact, but sting of truth and all this stuff. Right. Right. And I was really interested to see what it was going to say. So I was super disappointed when I got to the end and it's like, oh, this will be ready in an hour. Right. I was like an hour. I'm a creature of instant gratification. <laughs> Where's my thing? But fine, whatever. So that's one of the reasons why I went on to the next one, which was the, the divorce settlement agreement. Okay. And same deal. Like I live in Washington. And when I set up this divorce settlement, I said we had two kids about which, by the way, the wizard asked nothing, just huh. two kids. Check. All right. That clearly <laughs> won't be an issue in any kind of settlement agreement. Move on to the next thing. <laughs> And, um, and then for income, I said that I had no income and my mm -hmm. putative soon to be ex-husband had a $12,000 a month salary as a robotics engineer and also $3,900 a month in rental income and $250 a month from a qualified settlement because Washington's a community property state, rental income mm. applies ownership of real property. And right. if that's going to be imputable solely to one spouse, there have to be facts that would not have it be marital property, which it's it's fine you can have those facts but you would have had to make right. those deliberate choices and i was looking to see if the ai picked up on that right mm -hmm. nope. didn't ask me anything about it at all and when i got to the end of that it said that my letter would be ready in eight hours yes and i was like eight hours <laughs> what does it take eight hours for a computer to do right like <laughs> We're not calculating the route to Mars. We're writing a letter. <laughs> right. What is taking this kind of time? Eight hours is an amount of time, frankly, that it takes a human being to do something. It is not an amount of time it takes a computer to do something. And that's when I started to feel like, oh, this is a mechanical Turk. Mm -hmm. That's what this is. This is. Uh, so so let, just just in case people don't realize what you mean by that, like, let's explain when you say it's a mechanical Turk. What, what do you think is actually happening behind the uh, inside the trench coat? <laughs> right. So so the, the, the expression comes from like, you know, they hit back in like the 17th century. You know, people would charlatans in Europe would unveil right. the remarkable chess playing robots from Turkey. But 
and it looked like a robot, but it was actually just a little person inside the box operating all the bells and whistles and levers. So what yep. I mean specifically, what I'm specifically alleging here, to be clear, when I say that this is a mechanical Turk, is that I'm alleging that the document, the prompt wizard collects your information and then gives it to a human being who goes off and does the research and performs the analysis and decides what the most relevant state legislation for defamation is or what facts are going to be necessary to craft the airtight divorce settlement that it promised, which is a bold okay. claim. Right. And okay. so that's so, so so that's what I'm alleging here is that this is not a robot doing this analysis. This is humans doing this analysis. Right. Now, so, do, do you... Th okay. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say... Well, actually, let, let there was one more uh, thing that yep. you tried. So let's do that. And I have a question, but I want to I wanna hear the last one first before I go back. Sure. So the next one I tried was I got two out of a page that said, sue anyone for assault in small claims court, <laughs> which okay. now, you can sue somebody for assault. Assault is a tort as well as a crime, but right. um, small claims, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. So I, when I clicked on it, it said it switched to being called I'm owed $500 plus, like I'm owed more than $500. And it said that it would write a small claims complaint for me to be filed in court and also give me a script to read in court. Huh. Okay. But then as I stepped through the wizard, it sort of abruptly turned into a demand letter instead. I'm not sure exactly when or how that happened. Um, huh. That's still kind of a mystery to me. But so I ended up writing a demand letter for breach of contract because despite the fact that I got there from a page about suing for assault, assault was not one of the options that the wizard gave you. Okay. So... I wrote a demand letter for breach of contract and did the same kind of thing, you know, set up dates that could have caused statute of limitations issues, depending on jurisdiction and more recent payments that could have reignited the statute of limitations and had an amount in controversy that was outside the jurisdictional limits for most, but not all small claims courts in this country, etc. Right. And again, you know, to test the limits of it. And when I was done with that, document popped up instantly i mean instantly hit finish bam window opens there's your document right. which is, which the is kind what of you were kind, kind of expecting yeah expecting for the other documents right yeah, yeah exactly and it gave me a pdf and a word document and that word document is significant because it let me do some more thorough investigation than i would have been able to otherwise oh and i should say just for the record the demand letter was terrible okay just that was terrible the next question yes so and terrible yeah. in what ways bunch of ways. Number one, it looked cheap. I mean, just straight out it, there was no formatting on it. It had inconsistent tabs. I think I don't have it in front of me, but it was just ugly, you know? Okay. Um, and no date at the top of the letter. No, like just ugly, but then it, there was no like sophisticated language. It very clearly was just plugging in the facts I'd given it in, into things. And it, First of all, it included terms that it had not asked me about. It just put stuff in without asking me about it. It included an offer of a payment plan, which can have interesting effects in extinguishing your right to sue for a while. Because if you've made a payment plan, then you, in some jurisdictions, you can't sue until a reasonable time to complete that payment plan has completed. Mm. Um, it also threatened to charge uh, pre and post judgment interest, I think, but of 10% per annum, which maximum juris maximum statutory interest you can charge on those things in my jurisdiction is 
So it's leaving money on the table for me. But there are other jurisdictions where the maximum is 9% or 6% or 5%, at which point now you're doing a usury. Um, And that's not cool. That could open somebody up to real liability. And as for the jurisdictional limit on the amount in controversy, didn't flag that at all. Just like, nope, going to sue you in small claims court for $17,000. Right. Sure thing, buddy. And it was just so amateurish that any real attorney who had received it would be like, I don't even have to respond to this. This isn't right. And, and so, you know, so I saw you, you post about that and sort of my reaction to seeing that was that like what, what this service really is was just like a form filler kind of service. Um, and that, you know, it, it had a form and it took your information. It did no checking. There was no AI. It was just sort of filling out the form seemed like the most likely response. And so that made me wonder about the other two documents, if they were also form filler documents, but where, me too. <laughs> but, but maybe there was like some element that not that like they need to get somebody to like, you know, really look up all of the details of what you had put in, but basically just to like, to, to analyze which form to use and which things to put in it. Um, right. that, that that's what they needed the, the, the sort of human review for. And that was the, the time difference. But like, is, is that what you think or, or, well, I still don't know. Cause I still haven't seen the other okay. two documents. Um, right. the, my timelines came up and it flipped over to a little clock and said, we need more time. We're working behind the scenes. And I don't know what kind of behind the scenes there is with AI. Like, <laughs> right. like, where are you going? What, what is behind? <laughs> like, are we talking behind the scenes or behind the curtain? You know, what's going on here? <laughs> But even then, yeah, my, my expectation was that like it would co- collect prompts, it would look at those facts and see if it could do some sort of rush, rough, like, you know, tree analysis to figure out what product to use. And then for if it if it wasn't able to complete that analysis on its own, dump it out for human review. That's what I was expecting to find for that. Oh, and right. by the way, for your form filler, um, I can confirm absolutely for sure as a matter of fact yes that document was produced by a form filler it was produced by a google docs tool that there was custom xml for when i opened it up and looked at the structural xml inside the document you could see the references to that tool you could see the fields for the xml text injection for the document assembly process very very clearly that is how that document was produced okay and so like you know there is, there are potential areas where like a form filler tool could be could be useful. Oh shit, uh, yeah. I mean like in my in the practice I work for, we use document assembly to generate documents at scale all the time. It's completely right. legitimate useful technology. It saves us a ton of time and a ton of work. Right. But if you're selling it as if it is an AI lawyer doing all of this work for you to generate a competent and valuable useful legal document, that might be a problem. Yeah, not so much. And even if you're going to try and pass the robot lawyer off thing off as puffery, it's like, well, okay, yes, it's document assembly and robot lawyer is just, you know, glitz and sparkle that we put on top of it. Then why are you calling it the world's first when this is 15 year old technology? (laughs) Right. There's no first anything here. Right. There, there are, there are lots of other, other things out there and certainly like legal zoom is kind of, you know, somewhat famous as a sort of tool for, for that kind of yeah. thing. And they've and been around forever. On do not pay. There is a web page that says that do not pay is better than legal zoom because it uses artificial intelligence rather than the more usual human knowledge. 
I see. Like, so then, again, that's a yes. paraphrase, but a tight one. It's, right. I think that page is exhibit in one of the exhibits to the petition I filed, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah. Slow sorry, down. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. So, uh, no, and so, so, okay. So you wrote up a thread sort of detailing all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and what happened? And so a bunch of things happened. Uh, number one, um, it got a lot of attention, a lot more than I was expecting. I have a, <laughs> I don't have a small following on Twitter. When this started, I had about 7,000 Twitter followers. So, you know, not a tiny platform, but certainly not huge. But it got retweeted and amplified and put in front of a lot of people. And it, it very rapid, like Twitter was unusable. My phone was so hot. <laughs> I had to like, you know, put it in the freezer for a little while. That was the first thing that happened. Then Joshua Browder direct messaged me and said, you know, thanks for the feedback. Thank you for testing our product. Um, so so uh, just to go back a second, you said a few minutes ago that he had blocked you. So Yes, he had he blocked un- he unblocked me. Unblocked you and messaged to, me. To, okay. Unblocked me and messaged me and okay. said, thank you for testing our product. Um, we appreciate your feedback and we're talking it over with our team right now. Um, your account got locked because it detected inauthentic activity. Um, we will, we've refunded your money because you clearly don't have an authentic use case. Um, so he refunded me before he ever reached out to me. And I do want to be clear, Joshua Browder has refunded my money. Every penny I put there, he has given back to me. Um, and he said, you know, you know, thanks so much. We're going to be taking it under advisement. And I said, okay, okay, when can I see the documents I made? Cause this was a couple days later that I posted that thread. I'd, I'd given it like a day and a half and they never came to me. I said, when can I see the documents right. I made? And he said, tomorrow after 2 PM, cause the engineer who understands the blocking code doesn't get it until noon. And I was like, okay. In my head, I'm thinking you have a $200 million company and one guy who understands how to unlock a customer account, but whatever. I worked at startups. I know the drill. Yeah. And uh, I was like, cool. I said, let me know when I have my documents. This is my work email address. And and he said, okay. You know, he said, I'm so sorry I blocked you. I was in a Zoom and my phone was blowing up with notifications. It's like, okay. Yeah, you do have 82,000 followers on Twitter, Josh. So I'm surprised that this was, you know, a, a noticeable change to that. Cause like, I don't keep notifications on and I only have 7,000 followers. Um, but, but whatever. So, and then we sort of went about our business and I waited to get my documents the next day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I didn't get my documents the next day. What happened instead, um, is that Josh did a big announcement about how he was canceling his robot attorney stunts and shutting down all the legal tools on the site and, pulling out of the legal document industry to focus solely on consumer rights. Right. And I was like, that seems drastic. I know that, you know, he, he'd raised $30 million in venture capital on the strength of this legal AI idea. And to shut that down less than 48 hours after he was bragging about how he'd issued a subpoena with it, it seemed like a big turn bigger than I would have expected. And like, 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. I certainly have an ego and I certainly think pretty highly of myself, <laughs> but I'm not that cool, right? I don't have that kind of power to push somebody out of an eight figure industry with one Twitter thread. <laughs> so I was like, boy, something else must be going on there. And so he sent me email at the email address I'd provided and he sent me a screenshot of it. And then he was like, you know, um, I said, cool. When am I going to get my documents though? Mm-hmm. No response. And in the email that he sent me, I responded to that with four questions like, you know, tell me about the process of the analysis that you do for these and are humans involved? Oh, like he, he keeps appears to keep thinking that I'm accusing him of having human beings individually typing up these documents. No, no. I mean, the document I got was very clearly not individually typed by a person. I don't know why he keeps perseverating on this. If he's doing that to try and deflect from what I actually am saying, or if perhaps he really doesn't understand the technology that well, and he really thinks that is a defense. I don't know. Yeah. Cause but, I, I've heard, so of, I've heard, I've heard him say that a few times now. I mean, he said that to the to the media a couple of times, and and he said that on the, on the, a podcast recently that you know he as if it was like this crazy idea, like of course we don't have someone just sitting there typing up the documents, but you never accused him of that in particular. No, in fact, you, I very specifically described the document I got and made it clear that it was not generated by a human being typing it, like it couldn't have been, right. and um, so I'm not sure where he gets that from. But okay. <laughs> yeah, so where was I in this? Hold on, reorient me. <laughs> so, so uh, the last thing was that you, there was a, he had, he had declared himself out of the business. He had sent oh, right. you an email and, I was asking with questions. and you were asking him the questions. Yes. Yeah. So another question I'd asked him was, you know, is there any involvement from human beings in generating these letters? Not the templates, but the individual letters. And if so, right. what is that? And again, that wasn't typing. It was like, you know, research or whatever. And then the third question was, are the blog articles on your site written by chat GPT or by humans? Cause there are certainly a lot of them. And yeah. then the last one was who signed that subpoena, Josh? <laughs> Cause he still hadn't <laughs> answered that question and he has not answered those questions and he's never answered those questions. And so, so is that I kind the, of, the last time, the last time you've heard from him? No. Okay. The next thing that happened, um, it turns out that there are, I, a lot of people have reached out to me about Josh Brown. Okay. Um, more than two dozen people, possibly more wow. than three dozen people have reached out to me about Josh Browder. People who have personal experience with him, people who have businesses in the same kind of space as he does, people who have been trying to get him to validate his claims for years, people who have been trying to get him to cancel their accounts for years. Lots and lots and lots of people who had concerns. And one of these people told me about something that happened last November, where he had made this promise, where he said, for every retweet or follow that this tweet gets, I will buy $10 of medical debt and forgive it and post receipts. And the person said he posted this and he never posted the receipts. Mm -hmm. But what leaped out to me was not so much the receipts, but his wording about buying $10 <laughs> of medical debt, because I am familiar with that. And I know that medical debt sells for about a penny on the dollar. Right. So his wording struck me as wording that was designed to be ambiguous and cause people to believe that he would be going $10 out of pocket 
for every retweet or follow when in fact he could cover that obligation with about a dime. Right. And, and so I did again, a little thread, not an epic one, like the one before, but basically just saying, Hey, here's this guy. He made this promise. It had this ambiguous language. We don't know what he meant. Um, he, this could have indicated a $5,000 donation or it could have indicated a $50 donation. And because right. he never posted receipts, there's no way to know. Right. And I kind of left it there. And 20 minutes after I started that thread, Browder popped up. and was like, actually, I did donate. And he posted his $500 <laughs> donation receipt from RIP Medical Debt, which is a great organization, which I yes, also support. Yes. RIP Medical Debt, great people. Not being yeah. paid for that is just a great and, and 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 paying to get rid of medical debt is a is a fantastic thing. I mean, the fact that we have medical debt in the first place is a whole it's other terrible. issue. But, but it's terrible. RIP medical debt does good work yes. for people who badly yes. badly need it. So Absolutely. great org. Yeah. And so and I, I was like, okay, I mean, great. Um, but then he deleted those tweets pretty quickly, and I and I sort of called him out. I was like, so. This is a $500 donation. It's not the $5,000 donation that would have been if you were really going $10 out of pocket. He's like, well, it's 10 times as much as I had to. I'm like, okay, so your intention was to only get yourself on the hook for the dime. Okay, (laughs) that's what I wanted to establish. Thank you so much, sir. And then I was kind of preparing to leave that when somebody else said, hey, do you still have that screenshot he posted? Because he deleted that tweet, somebody in my DMs. And I was like, and I, it turned out I did because I'd send it to somebody in my direct messages and even the deleted tweet had been deleted. Twitter's CDN network has been having some issues lately. And so it was still persistent <laughs> there and I was able to sort of fish it out of my cache. And okay. I was like, yeah, here you go. And he said, yeah, those dates don't line up with the date headers. And I was like, you are kidding me. And so I was just on my phone. It was like one o'clock in the morning and I was like zooming in on it and like trying to line it up at the edge of my phone. And I'm like, you're right. Those head, they don't line up with the date headers, but maybe that's just a thing. And so I donated 25 bucks to RIP medical debt myself, which again, it's an organization I support. And when my receipt came in, that'll stop, that stuff all lined up fine. And I was like, that is unreal. And so the next day I popped open my, you know, it's not Photoshop, it's GIMP, which is a problematic name, but fantastic software and snapped some horizontal guidelines on it, was able to confirm, yeah, those date fields were remarkably unaligned with the date headers and only the date fields too. Everything else lined up perfectly. Right. So I did another little thread where I'm like, Josh, what's up with that? (laughs) Like the amount looks real the name looks real i have no reason to believe that this donation didn't happen but i'm pretty sure it did not happen on december 2nd which is when you <laughs> said it happened right and finally like i realized you know he left the receipt invoice number in there and so i just contacted the charity through their web form and i said hey i'm a regular supporter i've got a donation that somebody else is representing to me that i'm not sure if it's as represented can you tell me when this donation was made and they said, right. oh, yeah, that was made yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, it was what? So and they said, just, yeah, yeah. four just, just minutes to, just, after I posted the thread, four just minutes after Yeah, absolutely clear again, like just so people understand this, because it's it's mind boggling. He promised in November that he would donate again, like whatever the issues uh, with the an with amount the, of money. Right. Yeah. Right. An amount of money in in November for every like that he got. 
And then, and promised to post receipts was never were posted. And so now it was, it was at the end of January, January. early February. January, January 29th. Okay. So January 29th, when you're investigating this, and then he produces a receipt to prove that he did pay, but the receipt shows December 2nd, which would have been in line with what he had originally promised. And then it becomes very clear that it actually happened on January 29th. Yeah. And I'll be even more explicit than that. Joshua Browder forged the dates on a charity (laughs) receipt for clout. I will say that front and center. Or my presumption is that it's for clout. I can't think of another reason that would have motivated him. And this blew my fucking mind because it's okay. If he had just come in and said, you know what? You're right. I was so busy training my robot attorney to be able to appear at the Supreme court that I forgot to follow through on this promised donation. I've done it now. Here's the receipt. I would have dragged him for that a little bit because as I previously disclosed, I am an asshole, but, (laughs) but that's a very normal human being thing to do. Right. Yeah, like sure. I people do that all the time. You set something up yeah. with the best of intentions. It slips your mind to follow through on it. Somebody reminds you of it. You f- do follow through on it. You're like, shit, my bad. Here you go. Fine. But forging the dates on that and the fact yeah. that he made the donation four minutes after I tweeted, posted the receipts, I think 17 or 23 minutes or something after I posted. So it was his first instinct. Right. I'm going to do this and forge the dates. Right. And so that I have it took, to say, it, it appeared to take longer for him to forge the date than to actually make the, the, the payment. Oh, dramatically <laughs> longer. Yeah. And <laughs> right, he didn't right. do a great job, you know? So, right. <laughs> um, and so I have, I will absolutely say that really colored the way I looked at all of his actions from then on out. Because right. somebody who would forge a date for no reason Right. And other than I know, to co- cover his tracks, basically. Other than to cover his tracks, rather than just admit that the time got away from him. Right. That is not a normal human way to behave, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, it certainly raises questions about his ethical, you know, beliefs and sort of morality. Yeah. And I know um, later he is he has now admitted that he made that donation after I tweeted about it and has said, you know, what's the big deal about the date? Why does the date matter? And my answer to that is, if the date didn't matter, Josh... Why did right. you forge it? Right. It's, it's, he's the one who made the date a big deal. <laughs> yeah, <right>? exactly. It, it wouldn't <laughs> so, have, those would have been yeah. dead and gone otherwise. Yeah. So the next time I, after he pulled out of this and I was looking into it and again, and because he had refunded my money, but my account was still active. And so after he said he was pulling out of the legal tools stuff, and then I noticed that they were kind of all still there. And right. So I went back in and started checking to see if they still worked. And I wasn't getting documents from them, but I could absolutely pull them up and go through all the steps. And then it would dump me back at the same, you know, more time is needed to sufficient or whatever that it had had before. So this is this is getting back at what you what you said earlier, which is he claimed that they were getting out of that business. But as you saw, and the, the website still advertises these same things, even as he said he got out of the business, and you're saying in the tool they were still available. They were still available. Now, the specific two that I had used, the divorce settlement agreement and the defamation demand letter, were gone from the dashboard. 
the user dashboard that it presents you. You can select them from there. But if you go to the pages that advertise those things where it says defamation demand letters and minutes, enter your email to get started. If you were already right. logged into the site, you could launch it from there. And Oh, and so you could still it. launch it. It's just not so they just took it out of one spot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Or at least the or at least the front end document prompt. But what's interesting right. about that is that if you're not already if you're not already a member of the site, when you type your email address in there and hit solve my problem, it takes you to the sign up page where you have to connect your credit card or bank account and it debits you $36. And all along this point, it is never advertising that this is a tool that technically is no longer available. Right. Because I'm like literally, 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 as I'm speaking to you right now, I'm looking mm-hmm. at their website. And, and at the top, it says that you can use it to sue anyone, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the things they were supposed to get rid of. Yeah. Um, scrolling down, they have this big long list. It has defamation demand letters, which was one of the ones that you had talked about. Mm-hmm. It has divorce settlement agreements, which is another one that you had talked about. So yeah. these are still all on the website. This is now, you know, three weeks later since he's mm-hmm. promised to take them off the website. So yeah, that, yeah. that seems questionable. It does to me. And so I and think, sorry, and, I was going to say, and I do want to get to one other point here, which is that while he seems slow to update this part of his website, he did seem very quick to update the terms of service on the website, right? That's where I was going because I (laughs) did another whole thread saying, hey, Josh, you said you were going to take this shit down. So weird that it's all still up. And I posted screenshots of the stuff that I was working through while I did it. And I don't, um, those long threads, you can... You can get sometimes you can get like two or three tweets into them, and then you know you get a work call or there's a dispute between your kids or what have you, and you have to sort of walk away from it. So when I'm doing one of those, right. I usually do like the first six or eight in you know in the sort of tweet preview, and then right. post them all. Pardon me, and then and then just go back to updating them kind of in chunks. So I had done that. I had like the first six, twelve, I forget how many in there because I've had to go back and forth with other things, and then I noticed that my account had stopped responding Mm. on do not pay. And when I hit refresh, it dumped me back to the login screen. And when I entered my email address to re-log in, it said, something has gone wrong. Please email support (laughs) at do not pay. And I was like, oh. So then I entered a different email address to test it. And it Mm -hmm. took me through to a screen where I could have continued along the process of creating a new account. Full disclosure, I did not. I backed out at that point. But I concluded from that that if my email address is giving me an error message, but any other email address is inviting me to sign up for a new account, then I have been banned from the site. Right. And so I was like, hey, this just happened. And I went on and continued to post about this. And while I was still in the middle of that thread, Josh... DM'd me again, unblocked me, DM'd me again and said, this isn't true. These things aren't still up. This is disingenuous. You know, a blog post is not a product. We did take all these down. And I said, I am literally stepping through them right now, Josh. Right. Like as of 15 minutes ago, I made those screenshots while I was posting that thread. And he said, well, we're not getting cases generated from them which I'll point out previously, he said these were very niche products that almost never got used, but apparently 24 hours with no cases generated off of them was remarkable to him. Mm. And he said, and I said, don't know what to tell you. They're up. Like I can still access them. 
And he said, well, is your usage authentic? (laughs) And I said, it certainly complies with every provision of the terms of service. And then he vanished from the conversation. (laughs) And at this point, I was kind of super out of good faith, right, for him. And so thinking back on it, when I was like, I mentioned the terms of service, and then he bounced. Uh, And I went and checked the terms of service. And I believe by coincidence, I was archiving other things on the site. It is possible that I also archived the TOS, but I don't remember doing it. Somebody archived the TOS before I posted the first big, like one minute before I posted the first big chunk of TweetDeck stuff after I was banned. Okay. It wasn't TweetDeck, but you know when you're composing the thread in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the preview mode. Yeah. So, but it was after I was banned, but technically it shows up as one minute before I posted the whole initial chunk of stuff. And so you could see that when I did that, the terms of service hadn't been updated since like July 6, 2021. And afterwards, they were changed as of that day. And he had added a provision making it a violation of the terms of service to test the product. Basically, right. you couldn't use hypothetical data. You could only use it for a real live dispute, which blew my mind. Why yeah. would you rent an apartment without walking through it? Would you buy a car without a test drive? Why are you going to put your legal rights in the hands of something that you can only use the first time for real in a live dispute? Like, why does yeah. he even care? You know, why? <laughs> what? And right. I was like, that is astonishing and that he came back in and he's like you've been banned you're violating the terms of service because of your inauthentic use we told you you had to stop doing that no he did not um okay we told you that you need to straighten up fly right we you know we said all this stuff and now you're banned we don't want your business anymore testing the product you know and i was like but you in my head i'm thinking you invited you thanked me for testing the product right and now you just made it a violation of the terms of service to test the product (laughs) right what has changed in the past three days, Josh? And yeah, yeah. and so I was like, well, so then I included all that info in the thread that I was posting. And and I was like, okay. And then the next day he altered them again because I'd been like, okay, well, you won't let me make my own documents. Does anybody else out there have, have you used the site? Can you share the documents you got with me? And then he updated the site to make that a violation of the terms of service. And I just felt like, wow, my guy, you are really, as the CEO of a $200 million company, you are sure spending a lot of your personal hours and days trying to stop Catherine Tewson from investigating these documents. <laughs> like the last time I saw this much contractual effort aimed at keeping one person out of a product, it was Anish Kapoor. <laughs> and um, just just blew my mind. And that may be even more suspicious. It's like, why, why are you right. this worked up about this? And one of the yeah. things he said in that in his messages, he said the robot. I think I told you this. The, he said the robot lawyer. The phrase "the world's first robot lawyer" is a controversial marketing term, but I wouldn't get worked too worked up over it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you seem pretty worked up. Yeah. Josh, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's just a, a weird sort of telling statement in in its own way, like. Yeah, it's like, I mean, oh, I understand that you care about this, but don't. Right, right. <laughs> where, where it's like, you know, if, you know, if your documents are leading people astray and putting people at legal risk, I think there's legitimate reason to get worked up about it, you know? Yeah, I do um, too. But 
So, but but I do I do think it's quite incredible that he was so quick quickly able to change the terms of service. But the website itself, I'm still seeing all of these things on the website now weeks later, and he was mm -hmm. able to change the terms of service in, in mere minutes. Mere minutes, uh, and and again, absolutely no sign on the website that these tools have been taken down and disabled and are no longer available. Um, right. And to my knowledge, he does not disclose that to you at any point before or after he's gotten your thirty six dollars. Right. Okay, yeah. so, mm -hmm. uh, so now, more recently, you've taken some action about this. Yeah, um, so and I filed in New York State Court, because um, Browder lives in New York. He moved to New York in January. And okay. um, I filed a petition for pre-action discovery um, pursuant to uh, what we expect to be an eventual deceptive trade practices lawsuit. Okay. Because and he so, has taken this much effort to cut me off from normal avenues of investigation, this is the next step. Okay, and so and in in that in the petition, so you petitioned the court, uh, and you sort of laid out all of this and sort of raised questions about the legitimacy, and basically are saying that you need to to do some sort of discovery. Um, yeah. to try to, to, to find out what the details are so that in the eventuality that you do as you expect, which is to file this, this lawsuit, um, that you have the proper information in order to, to in order, file yeah. Basically, in order to bring the, petition, the complaint the right way the first time. Because what I, what I know at this point is there's definitely fraud involved, right? He is absolutely advertising a product, certainly now, that he does not deliver. That's that's fraud. That's a deceptive trade practice. Right. But in court, you have to plead fraud with particularity. And what that means is so the plain language way that I describe fraud that I'm talking to, you know, my kids or clients who aren't familiar with the legal system is when one person lies to another person about something important in order to get them to make a decision that they wouldn't have made if they'd known the truth. That's fraud. Right. And in order to plead fraud successfully, you have to be able to name every one of those aspects. You have to name the person who lied, the person they lied to, what the lie was, what their reason for telling the lie was, what the decision that the person made was that they wouldn't have made if they known the truth, and why it was reasonable for them to rely on the lie. You have to name right. all of those things. So that means when they say pleading with particularity. And what I know now is that nothing about this adds up, but I don't have yet enough information to know exactly what all of those elements are. And there are, in theory, there are other ways to get around this. You can, you know, plead on information and belief and then amend after you get discovery, but that's messy and it multiplies proceedings and, you know, dri certainly drives up costs for the defendant who then has to you know, mount a whole new set of defenses and against an amended complaint. And it's just cleaner and more effective to be able to say, hey, can we get this limited discovery so that we can understand what our facts are here and then bring the complaint right the first time. Right. And and what's the next step in that in that process? So what's going on right now? So this the most immediate next step is that the court has uh, returned in New York State Court. You have to have things notarized. Um, okay. and the court has said, because I had them notarized in Washington state, because that is where I live. And the court wants me to submit a certificate of conformity saying that a Washington state notary is good enough for New York state court. So, okay. I am okay. working through that process right now. Um, that's just a procedural hiccup. 
just to be right. super clear, that's just a, a, a wrinkle in the submission. But the, after that, we requested what's called an order to show cause in which mm-hmm. the, the judge will sign that and set a hearing date in which my attorney will show up and argue why we should get this and Browder and whatever counsel he chooses for himself, <laughs> more on that in a minute, um, shows up to argue <laughs> as to why we shouldn't get it. And then the court either, you know, gives us everything we want or gives us some of what we want or says, no, you know, fish or cut bait with what you have right now. And then, and then we move on from there. But that, that, that's the next sort of procedural step in the process. Okay. And uh, let, let's get to the foreshadowing <laughs> that you just Sorry. did. <laughs> in, in, in the petition, in the initial petition, there's a, a very interesting footnote, and I called this out in my article about it, uh, in, in which you uh, basically say if he wants to represent, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is if he wants to use his robot lawyer that he has been so excited to have appear and, and whisper in the ear of some lawyer, if he wants to have that robot lawyer uh, whisper in his ear in court, you're okay with that? Is that, is that the yeah, argument? That is, if he, I do and will consent to Mr. Browder being represented by his robot attorney in Supreme Court of New, of New York County for the purposes of this petition. And in fact, if he would like to make that application, I have consented to make that a joint application. <laughs> Um, we can both put our names on that together. And I, I, I will heartily endorse this request of his. And I believe the footnote, um, my attorney obviously drafted the petition, although I drafted right. my own affidavit. And my attorney um, said that if Mr. Browder does not make such an application, that they invite the court to consider the weight and implications of that, <laughs> of that lack of application. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so he's one of the chance. Now is a great time. Yeah. I mean, he's been so excited and he was so disappointed that he, he had, we had left out the, the fact that while he had advertised this idea of the, the traffic court, the AI whispering in the ear of someone in traffic court, that they pulled that because he said that various state bars, and he wouldn't say who, though he eventually did say California was one, but potentially others, had, had threatened to put him in jail. Right. Uh, if he went through with the, the traffic court. Although, plan. to be clear, he's only actually produced one letter. And what that letter just said is that the unauthorized practice of law is a misdemeanor in right. one jurisdiction, which it is. That's not right. a threat. That's just information. That's just a fact. Um, right. And so I don't know. Uh, maybe he has gotten threats. He sure has not disclosed any of the, right. any of those specific documents. And right. he has is, also, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say, he, he's also, he's made some claims that are, that are at least worth at least talking about a little bit. Uh, a, a few times now, he has said that this is all sort of lawyers and paralegals, since you are a paralegal in part, uh, mm-hmm. who are scared for their jobs because do not pay is directed at, at taking away your job. And I see that you're laughing as I as I say this, but that is the yes. claim that Browder has made, that the lawyers are, are scared that his do not pay AI robot is going to destroy the legal business, but certainly the paralegal business. Um, yeah. So, Sorry, my, my autofocus tipped off for a minute there. Oh, it's going to stay like that. Sorry. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) to be extremely clear, no, no lawyer is worried about this. In fact, 
this stands to create so much business for litigators as these <laughs> terrible contracts have but have terrible holes in them need to be hammered out in court no nobody is losing sleep over this nobody at all not lawyers not paralegals not anybody no and again yeah. i know what legal technology looks like that can replace some functions of my job because i use it because the functions of my job that it replaces are the ones that suck and <laughs> like it's the same reason why you know spell check isn't replacing anybody's job either right right you know yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if 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 the if tools like this actually worked, you could use it, right? I mean, yeah, it would be absolutely. Useful. If if it worked yeah. and was reliable, then I would use it. Just like you know, like Westlaw has an AI in it, and we all use that. And I use, right. use in the practice I work for, we use AI for you know predictive coding for discovery, and we we do tons of stuff with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 he's made a couple other claims, and and. You know, we're going on pretty long, so I'm going to try and wrap Sorry. this up relatively soon. Not, not your fault at all. Um, it's all Josh's fault. I mean, <laughs> if he didn't do so much. <laughs> uh, if he didn't want so, to be the main character in such an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's he's claimed in sort of like responding to some of the arguments from you, we've already talked about how, you know, he's made a couple of questionable claims. Well, one of the things he, he claimed was that you did all of this because you were banned. Uh, and you got mad. Um, and it feels like there would have to be sort of a time continuum problem for that to work since much of this yeah. was done prior to you getting banned. Yeah, no, linear time is really not on his side there. <laughs> um, the, 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 the questionableness of his claims um, was apparent long before I was banned. And in fact, he banned me in response to me publishing about the questionableness of the claims. Right. And so... So, no, that is absolutely not true. I mean, like I said, he has the right to ban me. He has the sure. right to yes. extend or deny service to anybody he wants to. He has the yes. right to set up whatever terms of service he wants to, although the clause about not testing the products may actually under federal law be void ab initio, but I'm not a lawyer, so I couldn't say. Um, okay. But the but nonetheless, you know, he can set whatever terms he wants. He doesn't have to have me as a member of the service he could ban me because he doesn't like my shoes or he doesn't like my twitter avatar he can ban me for any reason he wants and which is one of many reasons why i have not tried to create another account on the site he has right. ip banned me in addition to banning my account <laughs> um to make absolutely okay. sure but i no, i haven't tried to create another account nor would i right 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 yeah. And, and, and again, like, you know, I, if, as we talk about content moderation stuff all the time, like that, that is a right. He, he can absolutely ban you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The question yeah. is like, is he, is he, you know, fraudulently selling people on this and convincing them to pay, to pay money for things that he, he cannot that deliver? doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, um, there's what actually the, one other claim that he made that I want to address okay. if I can real quick. Yes. Let's go uh, for it. He claimed that my law firm that I work for sent me after him. Yes. That, and that is actually a pretty serious ethical charge, not against me, but against the attorneys mm -hmm. that I work for. Um, so let me be real clear. <laughs> None of the people I work with feel the need to hide behind me, right? If they right. wanted me to investigate Josh, they would have asked me to do that and I would not pretend that they hadn't. And this lawsuit would have been filed in their names. My right. attorneys do ask me to investigate people all the time 
because I'm an investigator in a law firm. And when I do right. that, I don't talk about it on Twitter because it's client work and privileged. <laughs> and those, right. the results of those findings show up in the legal documents that we file on behalf of our clients. So right. no, my attorneys did not direct me to go forth and investigate, do not pay. I, I, to be perfectly clear, I checked with my boss before I filed the petition to be like, right. hey, is it gonna be an issue? Is it going to cause conflict or anything like like legal conflicts um if i was yes. a plaintiff in this lawsuit and he said no absolutely not this has nothing to do with the firm you are a consumer you can file a consumer rights suit like anybody else can go ye forth um but that was the only time i checked in with them even about anything right yes this is this was a a you know side project moonlighting <laughs> yes not, not even is, that like it's just yes this is just how i do i mean Yes. I don't like fraud. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, and that's good. And, and, and one other, I just want to highlight that there was one other claim that, that Josh made in, in response to everything that was going on that was also misleading that I thought is worth calling out too, which is that he argued, and, and we you mentioned this very briefly, that um, – you know that they they had uh, suspended your account because they were, were like their their systems said it was like an inauthentic behavior. He has later said that you got that first document, and it was because of what you did on that document that you got that they decided that you were inauthentic, and then that's why you got the time limit or the time you have to wait for the second and third document. But again, linear time has that backwards where you got the third yeah. document. But the first the third two document the is the test. one I got instantly. Right. Yeah. The, the first so, one. So, and, so, and also I have yeah. seen, he has not explained what it was about my usage that was flagged as inauthentic. Um, right. You know, it's not like, um, it's not like I used an, you know, an improbable name. Although again, to be clear, he does not seem to know who James Joyce <laughs> is, um, which yes. was a name that I used for one of my later products. And he seems to think that that's a fictional character or a movie star. Yeah. Well, and, he, but, he said, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. He's, he's brought up James Joyce a couple of times. There was one time where he was like, you know, who is that? That's a fake name, which is kind of funny when you think about it. And then later on, he said that that's a, that's a fictional character, which like James Joyce wrote fictional characters, Still, but James but, Joyce but is not, <laughs> not a yeah. fictional character himself. So yeah. maybe he doesn't know and, what fictional character means. You know what? I bet you chat GPT knows who James Joyce is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but so, yeah, so though that, that he's got that totally backwards. The only document yeah. I got was the last one I requested. It was while my account was supposedly locked for inauthentic activity that it handed over that, that right. last document. So I, I don't know that when, when, what he described on an earlier podcast he did as when the system was gaslighting me, those were the words that he used. Right. Right. Yeah. He, yeah, he claimed the reason it was term, telling you. Not mine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Um, yes. It, well, but something to think about in the future when, when AI gaslights us all. So, yes. <laughs> but I don't think that was what was happening in this, this particular case. I, I, would, I um, would love to see evidence sufficient to document that claim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Let's put it that way. That's, that's an interesting statement there. So, on that note, we mm -hmm. have certainly gone for a long time, uh, yes. but there's lots of interesting points to make. And I wanted to make sure that we did get to all of them. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that people listening will be happy to listen to all of the details because this is just such a crazy, weird story in so many ways. Because it just feels like there are so many points 
in which Josh could just be a little more accurate and a little more honest and uh, maybe none of this would have happened. And he seems yeah. to go in the other direction every time. <laughs> it it seems like, like if I'm going to be perfectly just speaking very bluntly here, it truth does not seem to be something that is particularly important to him. <laughs> yeah. And it he does not appear to be particularly concerned with accuracy on the facts. And right. that is absolutely just inimical to the way that I operate, where right. nothing is more important than the facts. And right. I would have expected that $30 million worth of venture capital would have also thought that the facts were important, but here we are. And yeah. it is um, it, it is worth noting that one of the investors that put in some amount of that $30 million is Sam Bankman Freed, who is currently you know, on house arrest in his, in his parents' is, house for, for a multi-billion dollar fraud. He's currently experiencing the consequences <laughs> of his own actions, yes. And yes, yes. Yeah, so, um, and, and which, by the way, if you remember back when FTX collapsed, Josh told everybody that if you'd given money to FTX in the last 60 days, you could get it back just by calling your bank and telling them that the wire transfer was unauthorized. And just right. tell them that, you know, just choose your words carefully and be a little confusing and they'll go ahead and reverse it and you can get your money back. And he, um, at the time, like earlier this, he had made a big announcement earlier in early February, I think that he was going to be speaking at the, one of the keynote speakers at the Stripe All Hands. And mm -hmm. then some, uh, another Twitter user highlighted these fraud, I mean, cause that's bank fraud to be very clear, you know, saying right. that a transaction that you authorized was actually unauthorized is bank fraud. And right. so when he said this and somebody asked him, isn't this bank fraud? And he said, no, nah, the payment processor covers it. It's fine. And I can <laughs> only imagine that Stripe was like, wait, we are the, the payment, payment processor. processor. <laughs> right. Because after that all got a lot of attention, then he was no longer invited to speak at the Stripe keynote. So, well, and he deleted the tweet about it. And apparently from what I, or what I hear did not speak. So there's that. Interesting. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a, a fun note to, to go out on. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Yeah. Uh, it's been gosh. great to be here. Thanks so much for I mean, this has been this has been a really just weird, interesting experience that I I absolutely did not expect that this was where it was going to go when I first said, hey, so who signed that subpoena? Right. <laughs> you know, right. In terms of significant questions, that might be a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy how much stuff has happened so quickly. And so I imagine there's still more to come. Um, and I am Probably. I am looking forward to to finding out more as this goes forward and seeing what happens uh, and uh, just, you know, making sure that everyone in the world knows never to like never to commit fraud, first of all, but like never to commit fraud, fraud in the way that, that 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 you're the one. Uh, tracking it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully there are others too. Hopefully there are more people than just me with with, with this kind of hatred of fraud. But yeah, no, fraud is yeah. bad. Don't do fraud. Um, yeah. If you are going to do fraud and you get caught, don't double down. That never goes right. well. Just say you made a big oopsie and that you're sorry and you won't do it again. 
and then actually don't yeah. do it anymore. That's that's the critical step in that. That's the, the critical step. Actually yeah. stop. Yeah. Cuz cuz I've seen I've seen a few people saying like, you know, never never get on Catherine's bad side. <laughs> and, <laughs> I am so and, nice. I don't understand yeah. why people why No, I am the sweetest lady, I tell you. And and you know, but the thing is, like, I, you know, I don't think you're gonna get on on your bad side if if you're not doing the fraud. Right? No, like, that's that, the thing. That's like, it's not. Yeah, don't, don't fraud, right. and then I won't have any fraud to publicize, right. and then we'll be fine. It'll be fine. Right. Right. It'll be right. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, again, we've we've gone a little longer than our usual podcast, but I think it's fun. So I think it's totally worth it. So um, thank you again for for all of the work that you've done and sort of really exposing this and continuing to expose it. And I think it's, it's a, it's a really valuable service because, you know, I am personally just kind of sick of like Silicon Valley companies that make these claims and are just flat out lying about it. And, and Mm -hmm. it's, it is a mess and, and it really needs to stop. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your tenacity and your thoroughness in going through this. And I appreciate that you were able to come on the podcast and talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. This was a joy. Great. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who is listening as well. Um, And hopefully you made it through all this. If you're listening now, obviously you did. Uh, And we'll be back next week.